Welcome to Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 93, and today we're going to be talking about Special Forces. This is an independent French-made film, and it stars... I'm going to screw these names up, and I apologize to all of our French-speaking people out there, because you know what? I'm from Indiana, and we only speak two kinds of English, good and bad. Uh, Jaman Hansau, Benoit Majmel, and the absolutely stunning Diane Kruger. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark. I love this job. Slover. You know, guys, what this movie needed for me to be able to give it a 10 when I review it tonight is if the team leader for the French Special Forces had uttered these lines before they attacked the Taliban base. You don't frighten us, Taliban pig dogs. Go and boil your bottoms, you sons of a silly person. I blow my nose at you, so-called Taliban, you and all your silly braghead knickets. Wow. Yeah, I, mean, I have to start getting an applause line to put it for some of these, because that was pretty good. <laughs> the hell was that? It was Monty Python. Oh, my God. Muncie, seriously? I'm not even a Monty Python fan, and I even knew I where that know. was going. No idea. I was just uh, waiting for I fart in your general direction. Another one of those movies I'm supposed to like, but... Um... All right, well, we're going to have to have a conversation. All right, and also joining us is our other very good dear friend, Ken. Next time, pick Holland, Roni. <laughs> bon nuit, mes amis. <laughs> Show off. <laughs> well, that's about all the French that you're going to hear from uh, from us. Well, I, I had four years of French in high school. Oh, you did? Yeah, but you know, that was... I think, you know, when I was going to high school, they were speaking old middle French. It's it's mutated since then. I mean, that was a long time ago. Now all he's got is, now he's got his pig Latin. That's all he's got. I, that's, that's it. I, I, I suck at French. But I, I can still sort of read French. I can't really speak it, though. Not to a native speaker. Mm. All right. Well, all right, folks, you've already heard him. And also introducing our other very good and dear friend, Jeff. Is that Claremont Booker? Muncie. God, stole it, damn it. <laughs> Was that hello there, Booker? <laughs> oh, gosh, I, I couldn't help it. I, I, I kept thinking, I'm like, you know, this is a tough one to come up with some uh, uh, some nicknames for you guys. So I was I was digging deep on that one. Believe me. Oh, gosh. Bravo. Right. Yeah. Where's your uh, Where's your applause track? I got to work on one, and I'm going to put one together. And um, 2014 is going to be a whole new show. Believe me, folks. The production value of this thing is going to be going up 100. percent Can only go one direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we I think we bottomed out towards the end of that last show. <laughs> zero plus zero carried the, carry zero, the zero times zero. It's uh, still zero. Okay, 100 percent times zero is zero. Carry the zero. That's pretty much it. All right, folks, we're going to be talking about Special Forces. And you've probably never heard of this movie, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, it wasn't made in Hollywood, uh, so that's a plus one right there. Just a real quick background. I was sitting there one day. Minding my own business. Exactly. I was about ready to play World of Warcraft, and when I play World of Warcraft, there's sometimes I'll throw a movie on, just to have some background noise every once in a while if I'm doing whatever. It's like, just to have something to watch. And I kept seeing this one come up. It's streaming on Netflix. And I'm like, God, God. you know, it looks like one of those like really cheesy 
uh, like Marine 2 or something. It just horrible type movies. And then I'm like, all right, well, you know, it's got the dude from uh, The Gladiator and Diane Kruger. I'm thinking, well, hell, you know, you got a hot blonde and, you know, that guy was pretty cool in Gladiator. I'm going to give it a shot. Well, 20 minutes into this movie, Warcraft's been logged off and I'm like planted on the chair just engrossed in this movie. It's fantastic. And honestly, the background is there's a French journalist in Afghanistan. Uh, she gets kidnapped by the Taliban. And the Taliban and their, you know, usual thing, they try to do the whole, we're going to videotape and, uh, send it off to the, you know, to the government to say, here's what we have. Well, the French, uh, the French government's response is, well, you know, there's no French person's going to get beheaded, you know, on my watch. Let's get her back. And they send in a commando unit to go get her. And the whole thing is, is really good. I mean, it's just basically what there's what six, seven guys that go in to go get her. And I think the whole thing kind of started out is that these guys are supposed to be just kind of a reconnaissance unit for a larger force that was supposed to go in uh, to get them. But as things turned out, it was like, all right, those guys aren't coming in. You have to go do it. And it's it's a very well-done movie. Production value off the charts. I was very impressed with this. Like I said, there's two people I recognize in this one, obviously uh, Diane Kruger and um, Jaman. And I think I've got his name uh, pronounced right, Han Sao. Uh, and he was the special forces leader in this. And those are the only two I recognize. Everybody else obviously is from, um, uh, from Europe. And I'm sure our, our five European listeners, uh, will recognize a lot of these people because from what it seems like these guys are, uh, in, in pretty high demand. Overall, great action film and, and really kind of hard hitting. I mean, this movie doesn't pull punches and, it's not PC, and um, and Mark, I think you even made a comment offline uh, last week. Uh, you could see some really cool French military stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, guys, I'm just going to open it up. Initial thoughts, let's talk about it. I thought it was really well done. I was very impressed. I think this is one of those where I went in with some low expectations and then was just like completely blown away by how well it was done. I'll jump in. A beef that we've had, at least that I've had for quite a few years, is that Hollywood doesn't handle these kind of movies very well. Uh, modern military movies, uh, you know, in Iraq or Afghanistan, there's been a, there have been a few, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, a lot of them tend to be angst-ridden, anti-war movies. And again, it's a way, this is an anti-war movie. It's not like glorifying warfare at all. But Hollywood also tends to mess up when they're making a movie like this. And I'm not trying to make this into a big flag-waving exercise or something, but Hollywood is focused on the world market for the most part. And anytime they're making any kind of an action movie today, or even if it, you know, is a movie that you would think in the old days would be a old fashioned rah rah American movie, uh, aimed at the American audience, they're now going like, well, how's this going to play in China? How's it going to play in Europe? Can we get some angle into Latin America or something? And what this movie has going for it is I, I really have the impression they went, oh, we're a French, bunch of French filmmakers and we're going to make a movie for the French audience and, you know, it's going to show France in a good light, and it's going to, you know, show our French troops how they work. And they didn't sugarcoat it in any way. They just went right in there and went at it. So I had to say that uh, I liked that. It, it reminded me of the old 
in, in its own way, the old World War II propaganda movies. Uh, just a straightforward, we're the good guys, we're the bad guys, let's go get them. At the same time, it's not, like I said, it's not a movie glorified war. I think it's a pretty hard-hitting look at warfare in Afghanistan. Right. Mark? Um, something Ken mentioned that I struck me about this movie was it, it, it's the only movie that I can think of that I've seen, I mean, other than, um, some documentaries, Restrepo being one of them, which is very good. Uh, but a fictional, as it were, hot, uh, adventure action war movie that takes place during the war on terror that takes place dealing with the Taliban. You know, Hollywood hasn't touched this. They aren't going to touch it. We can tell that that's pretty much the case, or has been by and large. Act of Valor was independently produced. So when I saw this, it was kind of refreshing because, you know, we've been only at this since 2001. And really, I think, to my mind, this is one of the few movies that has ever been made, and Hollywood won't touch it. So, A, good for the French. Um, there's no surprises here in the sense of what it is. It's a straightforward action movie. In some cases, it reminded me of the movie, and I think, Ken, you saw this with me, Tears of the Sun with Bruce yes. Willis. I mean, very it, reminiscent. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of Tears of the Sun. Um, it, it's your standard fare for um, at action war movies of a small unit trapped behind enemy lines has to get out. But what I think gives it uh, a boost is, A, it's kind of nice to see it from another point of view in the sense of uh, the French, and it, it's handling this war on terror. And also, they they don't seemingly pull any punches on the Taliban, and they're charming and oh-so um, 11th century ways of going about and doing business. Um, now, that said, there's some things, I, there's some problems I have with this movie, there's some issues I have, and, and we'll get into them. But all in all, um, you know, it, it's streaming on Netflix, and it, it was it was kind of a refreshing little uh, uh, action-slash-war movie, like you said, Ken, that you just don't see made very often anymore. Jeff, thoughts? I think the guys have done a great job of talking about the attempt at the movie, and I want to go back to what you said, Steve, about the production value. This movie is... For I, I, I think it was a small budget, was was well produced. It was shot very well, and and for as drab as mountain scenery is, it's a very colorful movie. And the, there was some care and attention to um, put as much effort into the filming of this movie as there was the writing and the uh, and the action of this movie, which is pretty impressive. Um, it does get an award for um, for for tragic slow motion death scenes, but um, <laughs> but the the movie was paced I thought pretty well, and it really it really drew me in. You know, you had told me you know weeks ago when we kind of brought this up, you said you know you were you kind of led into tonight with the you were playing a game and you put this on to kind of have something in the background and suddenly you're just watching it. And I thought, well, you know what, you know, I, you and I are big fans of, you know, not trying to put too much into a movie so that way we don't build it up too much. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to build this up any more than what Steve already has. So I'm just going to watch this movie. And I was pretty much from word go captivated with it. 
Um, I was hooked right in. Sort of like with um, Pacific Rim last week. It starts off with a bang, and then it starts introducing characters and the setting and things right after that, as opposed to introducing character settings right off the bat and then kind of you know easing into the action from there. And I like those movies that just kind of jump right in and 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 kind of you know get your attention and then they kind of develop the story from there. And I thought this movie did a really good job of that. Agreed. One thing I do want to bring up for our listeners is that uh, this movie is uh, it is a French uh, production and it is I would say probably what guys about 90% French and it, it I'm when I, yeah, let me back up and it's probably about 90% French speaking. And so this is all subtitles. Uh, even the subtitles in which there's English speaking that you still have the subtitles and, and they kind of drift in and out of it. Uh, basically about the weird part is about the only time you see uh, English being spoken here is, I think during the period of time when Diane Kruger is actually talking to the uh, Taliban guy, uh, Zahir, uh, and th- and that's about it. But overall, it's you know it's pretty much um, you know a, a French language throughout the whole thing, and, and that's fine. I mean, I don't I don't mind subtitled movies, and I thought this one was really well done. If you even have any rudimentary understanding of French, you might actually follow some of this. Uh, and Diane Kruger, obviously, you know, she's German and she is also fluent in, uh, all français. Is that French, Booker? <laughs> <laughs> yes, very good. Nice. Uh, Steve, uh, vous parlez français très mal. Is that Claremont, Booker? Are, are you asking if I speak three versions of French? Is- <laughs> no, I said you speak French very badly. Well, the, I will be the first to admit I speak French very badly. Woof, 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 woof. That's my other dog imitation. Let, oh, let, let's cease with the mockery of the French language. We, I'm not mocking it. I'm just speaking it badly, and I apologize to all yeah. of our minus seven French listeners. I'm sure that. But if well, you can but, continue, we will taunt you for the second time. Yes. Well, we do have a problem. There are people who watch movies. There's probably some <laughs> listeners who just do not like subtitled movies. And if you just, if you're a person, you just can't handle subtitles. It's got to be dubbed. No, this isn't the movie for you. It's subtitles. That's the way they went. But and Steve, I'll tell you I what. am going to, for just a second, defend you. I know this is a rare case here. However, defend um, me and anybody else in this podcast right now, um, except for Slover, uh, a lot of Europeans make fun of Americans because we speak what they refer to as American over here. They don't refer to it as English. They don't think we speak English, but they think we speak American, which they're probably right. We have no other reason to speak anything else besides English or American over here because if you drive for a thousand miles in any direction from where we live, nobody else speaks anything outside of English other than Hilljack. And we can kind of make our way through that. So, you know, not too often do we encounter anybody that's really speaking French. And quite honestly, I don't encounter too many people that speak Spanish because all the Spanish speaking people here here in this country speak English too. So they can communicate with me just fine. The only other place you could probably go to and, and get in the trouble is is in the bayou. And even if you spoke French, you're not going to understand them. Well, if you're in the bayou, you're away, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, didn't didn't we review a movie about what happens when you go into the bayou? Well, didn't we see Southern Comfort? Yeah. Didn't we, yeah, right. didn't we know how that ended? Yeah. If the cages don't get you, the gators will. 
Yeah, good point. Forgot about that one. You know what? Back to this great and fantastic yeah, film. Since we're nice. we're we're done talking about the uh, the the various dialects of Americanese, um, <laughs> actors in this movie. For, you know, for most of our uh, American audience, you're going to recognize maybe two people in this movie: Diane Kruger and uh, Jaman Hansau. That's about it. And everybody else. The only other person I did recognize was the guy that played uh, uh, Ahmed Zayef, who was the Taliban leader. His name is uh, Raz Dagan. Of all things, he is uh, Israeli. And the only other thing I ever saw him in was um, Alexander. So, oh. yeah, he played. Oh, uh, yeah, he actually, he played. Um, oh, hell, what the hell is his name? Uh, the Persian king. Um, help me out. Darius. He played Darius. And all he did was just, like, stand there and look stern. He never even uttered a word, so. I did want to say that I like the portrayal of Zaif, the Taliban chief. It's quite reminiscent of what I've seen of, you know, these these uh, leaders. The fact that he, he's an evil guy. I mean, he oozes malice all through his movie. Would you guys agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he comes, they don't sugarcoat it. They're not going like, oh, he's a tortured soul, and, you know, he's a right to be angry it's like no he's just a bad guy he just walks up and shoots people no oh, yeah. yeah but then when it comes down to okay it's time to go mano a mano with the with the with the uh, special forces it's like well i'll sit here in the rear and you guys go oh, what yes what, wait yep. till we talk about certain scenes because that one is that this is one of those folks we're just part of this whole show is just going to be about some of the scenes in this movie of how things were done uh, guys, because there's not a lot of quotes in here because there's not a lot of, obviously, English dialogue. So there's a few things that I pulled out that I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna quote in my bad Hoosier accent, uh, just so you could hear it. But I do want to talk about, again, a little bit of the plot and the scenes in this movie. You know, like I said, we talked about early on, you know, this journalist got kidnapped by the Taliban. French government sent in their, uh, special forces unit. Which, by the way, Mark, what are they called? Do you know? Uh, GIGN is their counterterrorism unit. I don't know what. Yeah, I think these are like their equivalent of Army Recon. Yeah, I think they're like Force Recon. Force Recon or Rangers, maybe, or something like that. Yeah, I don't think they're not GIGN. Okay. Are they, Ken? I didn't. They, I didn't. You know, my impression was these were Army elite forces, but not the elite forces. Again, like it'd be the equivalent of our special forces. Yeah, I think they go by SO. I think they're called Special Operations Command. I okay. think that's what they're called. All right. Yeah, because when they broke in, they said, you know, French Army, French Army, and they flew in on French Army stuff. And I'll tell you what, French, the French have got some badass-looking helicopters. Don't they? Those were sexy. I liked them. The, the French, they, they have some very effective military capacities, I will say that. And this movie does highlight it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they went to the – I'm – they may have had a limited budget, but I really have the feeling that they went to the government and said, hey, we're making this movie. Can you help? And they, I think the government said, sure, you know, here you go. Their Mirage series of airplanes is highly sought after, at least over in the Middle East and I think in a lot of part of Europe. Uh, if they weren't buying F-16s from us, they were buying Mir- Mirage 3s over there. Well, the Mirage is a good fighter. Yeah. The French have always had a good military and, and just – And an unending supply of white flags. You know, Let's I'll tell you what. not go there. <laughs> you know, you know what? what? I was France, wondering. Still, I've always said it. I respect France, and this movie is a good demonstration of it. When when the French people find themselves challenged, 
they have no compunction against pulling out the guns and going at it. You know, they have this reputation because, yeah, you know, the Germans at their peak beat them. In this country, people make jokes about it. But, like, so what? I mean, them and 20 other countries, you know, went down under, you know, the, the German army in World War II. You know, that's nothing to be ashamed of, in my opinion. And the thing of it is, I'm going to build up a little bit on that. We all have our, I mean, as Americans, we always have our issues with the French. And it's, I think it's a little bit more of, and we've talked about this before, guys. I think one of the reasons that there's a little bit of attention is that we're more alike than we're opposite. And one thing you got to remember, I mean, during World War One, the French army bled themselves white. I mean, they put up a hell of a fight. You know, World War Two, the French army, it wasn't the French army. It was the leadership, and it was just the turmoil in France at the time is basically what uh, it, I think created a perfect storm for the for the Germans to win, you know, but overall the French have never been pushovers. I mean, they're yeah. always good. They're always going to give somebody a fight. You're not no, just gonna... French troops are in combat like every year somewhere. You know, yeah. they, they are experienced. Yeah. I mean, well, you got the, you got the Legion. That's, I mean, wow, well, those guys, well, they just got out of Mali. What? Uh, uh, not even a year ago or so. Not so, yet. I mean, I mean, they're always, they're, they're a lot more active than a lot of people think. It's easy for a certain, for American men of a certain age, of which we all are, it's easy to make quickie jokes at you know, the expense of the French. But they, I, I've always been said they don't really deserve it. And this movie does a good job of showing that they are not pushovers. They have fine soldiers, a good sense of military honor and dedication, excellent training, and the movie highlights it. Mm-hmm. It's a good demonstration of it. Absolutely. And let's talk about that. Let's just talk about that sense of honor and the dedication because one thing that you'll see in this movie, and I don't really want to do spoilers here, folks, but you're probably going to see this kind of early on. This is not one of those movies. Uh, I think, I don't know if it was Ken or, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mark or Jeff made a comment about it was like Tears of the Sun. It's that type of movie where it's like we got to get this person out and we're you know being chased by this group. Compared to that movie, this movie seemed much more gritty. And Tears of the Sun was like, it was like you were watching this Hollywood action movie. This was almost like you were watching an actual documentary. Yeah, an an actual operation being taken on. I mean, it, it was just that different in terms of how they were. And I didn't make that connection with Tears of the Sun. And it's like, yeah, the, I mean, those are. It's the same plot. It's the same plot, but this, to be honest with you, this movie's like ten times better than that. I just well, Stephen, I th- I think it goes into the how, the way that they filmed this movie. I mean, the, the, the cinematography and the way that they um they you you like you said you were you were kind of watching this as it was developing. The, the thing I loved about the the camera work in this is just the the there was there's a couple of great shots where it's like the camera like circles the characters mm-hmm. and there there is so many different dimensions to the photography in here it's always fresh so you're never seeing it from the sense of all right well we're gonna you know flash this character talking and flash this character talking and back I mean they have some of that but there is so there's such a diverse amount of 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 camera work in this that it keeps the story fresh and it does feel like you're going along with them not necessarily like a documentary mark mentioned restrepo um early on which which is 
uh, a documentary and and the filming of it is you are almost like first person in that movie. You don't get that sense in this. However, I, I that was the thing that just struck me about this movie, just the, the photography of it, and it did have a different feel because I think it was it was done by it was not done by Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And you you had said you know the Tears of the Sun, it was different because you did feel like you're watching a Hollywood action movie because Hollywood ish action movies are shot in a certain way. Well, you got a different perspective from here, and that's what I really enjoyed about it. And none of us are adverse to foreign films. The only thing it does is prevents us from getting some of the great clips because we would have to translate them over the podcast, which would be highly, highly annoying. But um, there's a lot to be learned from foreign um, films. And, you know, because of the clips that we like to put on here, it's, it's a challenge for us because, you know, if you want to see some, some great uh, photography or just some great movies, uh, you know, Mark and I always reference uh, Akira Kurosawa's films. Uh, back in the 50s and 60s, well, you know, you can't really transfer those over uh, very well to a podcast like this um, because none of us speak Japanese. Konnichiwa. And um, that's, you know, so it's going to be just different. But things are done a different way in different countries through their production studios. And that is why this movie, I think, really, at least for me, was a good movie. Mm-hmm. I, I can't agree more, Jeff. I want to talk about our favorite scenes because, guys, I got a bunch, and there's a lot of things I want to talk about in this movie. Just the different type of scenes that they did. If you don't mind, I want to take the lead at least what just jumped out at me right off the bat. And it's kind of weird because do you guys remember the initial start of this movie? You've got these helicopters helicopters flying in, yeah. Do you guys pick up on that music? Oh, my God. I tell you what, can can I for just a second say that it was the most awkward scene for me in the movie because <laughs> you, you you know what's happening, right? You know that these helicopters are flying in for some sort of assault. However, you've got was it a duet that was going on? Dude, you're you're killing me right now. And this is where I actually kind of stopped playing Warcraft. I'm like I'm like, holy crap, I know that song. I know that it's C equals MC two by Big Audio Dynamite. Yes, yes, it was. It. I was so excited. I mean, I literally kind of like stopped playing. I think I actually wiped a a, a five man heroic because I was like standing. I'm like, oh shit, I'm supposed to be tanking, and I'm like, I know that song. I was like seventeen or eighteen years old when it came out, and I loved Big Audio Dynamite. These guys were awesome. As a matter of fact, Jeff, being the uh, uh, the music buff that you are, but you know what you actually you know what you probably didn't even hear these guys because you were still a small child. I think I have never heard of these guys until you just spoke of them. Big Audio Dynamite. They actually were formed by. Do you ever hear the group called the Clash? Yes. Yes. Well, the Clash. Well, see, they they kicked out uh, their singer, uh, Mick Jones. Uh, he evidently had. Um, uh, issues of showing up on time for uh, concerts and rehearsals and stuff. So, like, oh, you're done. Kind of like Jeff in this podcast. It's 9.45. I am the Axl Rose of this podcast. <laughs> Damn right. Wasn't trying to make any kind of an analogy or anything. No, nope, just... of course not. <clears throat> Thank Every you. rose has its thorn. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Oh, so that's how it's going to be, Roni. All right. So, Roni, does that make you slash? Kind <laughs> of close. Top hat, long, dark hair. I, I had a, a friend of mine went as slash to the Halloween party this year. Perfect slash outfit. Pretty awesome. Oh. You don't see guys going as slash much anymore. No. His wife was furry. So anyway, no, seriously, Mick Jones, when he got booted from the Clash, uh, formed a group called Big Audio Dynamite, and they were they were very popular during the eighties, uh, especially from the the type of music I listened to back then. I actually had, I think, about three of their albums. They were awesome. They were kind of like a uh, alternative techno punk type group. It was pretty good stuff. Well, how uh, does this rate, Steve? How does E equal MC squares rate? For the soundtrack of the helicopter assault, as compared to the classic Valhalla scene from, uh, see, the thing of it is, is that that's actually an excellent question, uh, Ken. Because they are, these are analogous scenes. They're analogous scenes, but for some reason, in some twist sick sort of way, I really enjoyed the opening part of this because I thought it's leading up to this, well, the assault that they did in, uh, apocalypse now i mean they just went in guns blazing you know yeah. these guys were just like yeah we're dropping you off here and we're gonna we'll, we'll come pick you up a little bit later yeah it's it a was covert just, mission yeah it, it was one of those things where you're just kind of like in the very beginning the only thing that intrigued me at this point was the music because this was one of my favorite big audio dynamite songs and if you guys actually want, I'll, I'll play it for you because you know what? I actually do have this on a CD. You know what? We gotta, we I'm gotta have speak some for Mark. I'm gonna speak for Mark. Please don't. <laughs> oh no, we've gotta have some clips Here, for this podcast. It once in the movie was enough for me. No, that no. Was, oh, let's, let's, months, let's, are you kidding me? I do. Oh, Steve, I'm, I'm we sure. Don't have a lot of clips. Let let the audience decide. I'm I'm sure that if with the right amount of alcohol, I'm sure that clip would have been just fine. But um, it, like you know that. what? I'm you know what the clip was. You know what the song's probably fine. It was just my brain. The gears were seizing as I'm watching this and listening to the music. I'm like, I just don't think this goes with this scene. It just felt disjointed a little bit, just for the scene. But Not, you know, the thing of it is, I think that's actually what made it really interesting because you're kind of watching this going. What the hell's going on here? Next thing, okay. you're going into a bloodbath. <laughs> That's that is a good point. It I definitely made you pay attention to what the hell is going on in this show, because are they are they flying to a beach for a barbecue, or no? They're going to you know they're going in and they're uh, yeah you're right they're commandoing into a compound and um and and letting loose. So it did it did get my attention and I was zoomed in because I'm thinking what. This this song does not go with the scene, but it was just different. <laughs> and I did well, sort of also like uh, the beginning of Predator when they're zooming in with the helicopter. What are they playing? Like Long Tall Sally or something like that. That doesn't well, but, fit. But that, that I guess there's there's a maybe there's just a general rule that if you're doing a helicopter assault, the music has to be a little disjointed. Well, I think that's it, and that's what got me about this movie because you know uh, Jeff made a good comment. When you're first watching, you're you're thinking it's like, it, well, these guys are like on an exercise. They're going to the beach. They're they're just flying around. You don't really know what's going on. Next thing you know, it's like blood and guts are flying all over the place. I don't know. I I like it, and I just like the fact that this is a movie made in 2011. They pulled some like really obscure like British punk song from 
five or six that I actually can remember because <laughs> I'm that old. Yes, folks. And I, and, and literally this is the first thing that made me kind of look at the TV going, what was that? Is that, is that audio dynamite? I was all excited. So right off would the bat, Jeff, play it. Jeff, would you be happier if they're playing rock the Casbah? <laughs> you know, that could have been pretty cool too. <laughs> I would have digged it. All right, folks, you know what? I'm just going to, just because, you know, Jeff, why don't you go take a pee or whatever? I'm, here's a little bit of the music, folks. So there you go. And anybody yeah, you know who what I thought when I when that first one came on when the movie started? What? I, I thought we were doing an air assault on Pretty in Pink. <laughs> Molly Ringwald out of any aircraft gun. Yeah. She's been waiting for you. Long duck dong. What's happening? Hot <laughs> stuff. I wouldn't mess with the donger. Probably got some moves. Uh, is Jeff still with us? I think he actually did go take a peek. All right. <laughs> Um, I tell you what, I'm actually going to wait to, uh, make this one other comment, uh, until Jeff gets back. But one of my other favorite scenes, remember when they were like leaving the compound or they're running after the compound, they rescue Dan Kruger, they're running away and Tic Tac like is hiding behind this, you know, this rock and he starts like beatboxing and then he sets off the detonators and like blows a whole bunch of people up. You got to have some fun on the job. You know, that was, I, I, I chuckled and then I thought, you know, this is one sick twisted guy. <laughs> <laughs> because he started beatboxing. I'm like, really? I'm like, what well, are you that, doing? I'm not going to say that that's trope, but it's one of those methods that, that the writers use to demonstrate that a character has a high level of confidence about themselves in the situation. Yeah. Yes. And that right there is some character development. You immediately started knowing more about that one character because of that one tiny 10-second bit. And I love that shit. Absolutely love it. I agree. And, Jeff, now that you're back, I'm going to tell yeah. you, you know what the one scene that could have been done really good? The scene when they were flying over and they did the halo jump. If they would have had flares. <laughs> oh, oh you son of a bitch. <laughs> I totally agree. I was thinking that. I said, if they had some, if, if they had some flares and some streamers and maybe like a banner coming down with them, that would have made this scene much better. And I thought flares with like the, you know, like the red, white, and blue of the French flag. I thinking thought tassels. Yes. Steve, we should, we should design that scene. We should have the five of us. Wait a minute. Yeah, they, they should, they should put that into some movie. They should put that in. Maybe the four of us could jump out of a helicopter, you know, at, at 200 feet, and you guys can go down with streamers and flares and stuff. Uh, and all as, as God is my witness, I thought morons could fly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. I think minimum safe jumping distance is 300, and that's like. That's why I said 200. I want to see you guys hit the ground. Oh, nice. I've, I've already got bruised cartilage I'm healing up, so yeah. no, I'll pass. All right. Get out, get out with your walkers and canes. 
All right, I got a couple other favorite scenes I want to talk about, but I want to throw it over to uh, Mark. What do you think? What do, What do you like about this movie? Um, jumped out at you and just made you go cool. Um, I, I did like that they had filmed on location in Tajikistan and, and the mountains when they're trying to get over the Hindu Kush. I, I thought, while some of that dragged on from a narrative, these shots, I really liked those scenes because you felt cold, and I liked the way they made up the actors. Mm-hmm. You could see frostbite gnawing at their faces. Um, this was brutal, and they shot it on location. You could tell. I really like those scenes when they're trying to get over the Hindu Kush because it just had that vibe about it that this was not green screened with our actors looking like they're cold and, and we're going to, we're going to do this all digitally. They, they put it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one I like is the scene with Zayef, who is the, the baddie in this movie where Diane Kruger has been captured. It's before the the special forces guys show up where they really kind of show. I think they do a very good job of showing just how utterly ruthless these type of people are mm-hmm. where they he he just lays it all out as to how his world works and why and at what lengths he's prepared to go. And it's it's pretty graphic in a thankfully in a non saw sort of way where saw would have thrown blood, buckets of blood and we would have shown you an exquisite and slow motion detail but it's pretty graphic in that hitchcock sort of cut away in time scene and i think that 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 that's really an effective way of setting up that the people we and what he does to a few people when he lines them up on a wall that these people are you don't have a problem. There's no moral equivocation. You understand that people we're dealing with here need to be put down. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, Mark, uh, when you bring that, that one scene up, when they put, uh, w- when the special forces guys had the compound surrounded, mm-hmm. and the sniper is up there and he's like, do I take the shot? And because they had, you know, they just had these, you know, the, the one girl and, you know, some other people line up against the wall and he's like, no, that's not why we're here. And you could see that sniper was very conflicted. He's like, okay, that's what, then what, why am I here? <laughs> you know, right. I mean, you, you, you could see, I mean, he's watching, he's watching four people getting gunned down and he's not supposed to do anything. And I'm going to talk about him a little bit later, particularly his name. Uh, the, the sniper's name was Elias. And I don't know if you guys, Picked up on the uh, his demise. Oh, you know what? Platoon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, it – and let's just talk about that one, guys. I don't – I think they're trying to do an homage to Oliver Stone because when you watch that scene, because Elias was just the background. Elias was not part of this unit. He was an Air Force, I guess, sniper. Mm-hmm. The Air Force had snipers, but anyway, he was kind of like the outsider of the group that guys were kind of, I mean, they weren't like completely being dicks to him, but it was like, yeah, hey, you're the, you're the outsider. But he was the one on two occasions said, you guys go, I'll cover you. And the first time he almost bought it. The second time he does buy it up until if you actually go back and listen to the music. Listen to the music. It's almost to the point where it's like, wow, really? That's right out of Platoon. Interesting. The visual for it, you're right. Um, I see that. I, I, and 
it was, you know, they, they completely isolated him in that shot. And you know, what's always impressed, you know, I've, I've never, you know, had, uh, you know, bullets ricocheting and flying, um, around me, fortunately, hopefully never do. But Hollywood and cinema in general, I feel always does a really good job of making it, those scenes look authentic, like when you would see something ricochet off a rock or, you know, go streaking by. Mm. Um, and that scene, as agonizing and as long as it was, um, was really, I thought, well done, except it was a, an excruciatingly long scene. That and it, and you knew what was coming. I mean, you knew what had to happen. I mean, of course, you know, you you knew, you know, about a half hour before that that you know none of these guys were going to get out alive. And I'll tell you, you know what? And, and I'll tell you if I can just jump in here just real quick and say I knew which guy was going to die twenty minutes into the movie as soon as he got the kiss of death. <laughs> there is that. Yes, you saw it coming. You you and I'm like, oh my god. I mean, yeah, the tropes go to France. 2011. Seriously? Well, I have to say that they they did do a good job in this movie of, you know, once you get, once things go bad. Because, you know, I I don't want the listeners to get the idea. This was like the highly choreographed, well-designed, in-and-out mission that goes exactly according to plan. This is a, they, they, they get it and everything goes bad. But when it goes bad... And the members of the team start buying it. You quickly start going like, yeah, you don't know who's going to go next or how oh, they're going to go. I, they just start I, dropping. You know, I digress on that. There was not a lot of surprises as to who was going to buy this oh, because a lot of those so. a lot of those tropes were telegraphed. You know, yeah, oh, okay, your 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 wife's maybe. pregnant. You're you're going to have a baby. Well, three, two, one. <laughs> exactly. We're playing frisbee with a hat. You're the last guy to catch it. Three, two, one. Maybe I'm just too dull-witted to see that. I, I, some of that was a surprise to me. I didn't see it coming. Well, they, they, that, that team got whittled down pretty bad. Well, Ken, I think I think what Mark, I think what Ken is saying is you you assume that they're all going to die. You just don't know which one's going to die next. I, and I agree. I mean, there was a point. I, mean, I, I assumed okay. somebody was going to make it out, but they were they were dropping pretty much like flies, and I didn't know who's going to make it or not. Well, there was one a, and the ending is a surprise. What winds up? I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, it, the ending is a surprise. Um, and folks, I mean, I'll just I'll give this spoiler. Diane Kruger gets out. Okay, we all know that's going to happen. What she does? Yeah, and uh, son of a bitch. Yes. What those kung fu moves she puts on Saif? Well, no, actually, I'll tell you what. Going back to that, I love the fact that. And you don't see this very often. Remember the scene when it's they just got out of the Hindu Kush, and I'm not even going to talk about the fact that how the hell did Zaif and his guys get through wearing the rags that they had on? But that's a whole different story. Well, I mean, they, how they, I figured, I figured they had a couple pickup trucks and they just took the side road and popped out where they were. I, that must have been the that must have been it. So anyway, setting the scene. Next thing you know, we're down to uh, Diane Kruger, two special forces guys, and Zaif has Diane Kruger with a headlock, with a gun to her head, and he's walking down thinking he's going to make a bargain. And it's just the classic, Jamon gets up, pulls his gun, boom, 
shot through the eye. All right. Well, that is true. I mean, I, I, I love that. It's just like that, that, no, no lingering scene. Yeah. It, it was just like that quick. It's like, uh, okay. Uh, put your guns down. No, f- you. Boom. <laughs> it's game over. All right. Let's keep going. It's like, that was it. It was so abrupt. Cause you think there's going to be some kind of dialogue. You think there's going to be some kind of interaction. It's like, nah, we're going. We still have a long way to go. It's stuff like that. It just, shocked me and it's like okay they are not following the uh they're not following the typical hollywood script no because this isn't a hollywood movie and it shows and i think it's good i like it i'll tell you what one other thing i'm going to bring up right off the bat at the very end when diane kruger gives tic tac the bisque uh, uh the big kiss i'm like damn girl you haven't brushed your teeth in like two weeks true well, that, that was the thing that i liked about this is Many things bug me, as everybody knows, but it does bug me when you're watching some movie and, you know, the characters are supposed to have been, you know, in the wilderness or on the run or whatever for days and days and days. And the makeup's perfect and the hair's all right. The teeth are all shiny. They don't do that in this movie. These people just like they've been beat to hell and run ragged. Oh, hell yeah, they do. I mean, for most of the movie, you know, Diane Kruger's a very attractive woman, but she's looking pretty haggard through the whole thing. The She's, men are looking worse. Okay, I'm just, just back, can't back up. Diane Kruger's not just like fairly attractive. She's like somewhat attractive, moderately attractive. <laughs> okay, Jeff, what are your favorite scenes in the movie? <laughs> hey, Jeff, why don't you talk about your favorite scenes in the movie while I uh, go to the restroom? All right. <laughs> why don't you just lay them out there for the guys because I have to go calm myself down. And I. Oh. You know, can't get you worked up there. No, I think Diane Kruger's got him worked up. He may be gone for I think so. twenty minutes or so. You need a moist towelette. Towelette. There you go. If I'm gone for more than like ninety seconds, that's. <laughs> um, I'm gonna guess. Um, well, okay. One of my the scene that I liked was um where um I think it was Tic Tac uh, turned to the guys as they have been you know doing one of the uh, you know slow retreats. Um, kind of keeping them in check, and you know, I think Tic Tac turns and says, "I'm kind of tired of running away." And they all line up and say, "Let's go!" And they start marching, you know, towards the the Taliban, and you know, and and they're just getting, you know, waylaid as far as the Taliban. I mean, they're just you know taking you know shot after shot, and these guys have a you know a steady fire line that's moving in on them. And, you know, again, it's that, okay, they understand that they're training, um, what will get them through this. And they, you know, kind of stop the, the, the assault for a little bit, uh, long enough for, you know, them to turn around and go back to the leader who was sitting on a rock going, wait a minute, why are you guys coming this way? You need to go back and, you know, take them out. As he's sitting there drinking his latte and, you know, directing the action from the rear because he's not putting himself in harm's way. But there's that scene, and I also like the scene in the village where they decide that they're not going to allow the village to um, withstand the onslaught of this guy's wrath just because they gave them shelter. And what I find interesting about that, I know this is a major spoiler, I may be giving up here, but, um, you know, we're going to go see, uh, well, or I should say, uh, what is it, um, Lone Survivor's coming out here. Yeah. And and you're going to see that same theme in in that movie 
Uh, if you read the book, you, you know what is coming up. Uh, I don't want to completely spoil it for people, but when someone is in trouble, whether they're your enemy or not, there's a code that they have with, that they will provide shelter for them. And that's what this group did. They provided shelter. And because they provided shelter, they, you know, they, they had to pay the consequences. You know, another trope uh, that Hollywood and apparently French Hollywood likes to do, um, is we are going to make the bad guy out to be this, this cold-hearted, ruthless person. So there is no sympathy for him whatsoever or her. And we're going to paint them in this, this very, very bad light. So that way, when they do die, there's no qualms about it. Well, I mean, he was a Taliban leader. Well, he was, but I mean, it wasn't enough just to say, okay, he's a Taliban leader and he deserves to die. You know, we, we have to have, you know, all these heinous things go on along the way. So that way the audience says, okay, this guy needs to die because I'm presuming that they have to sell this to most audience members. So there's not some sort of backlash that while they killed somebody and they were, you know, um, you know, they were charismatic and, and, and a good person and why'd they have to do that? You know, it seems like they've got to completely sell that this person has to die. And you see that in a lot of, you know, a lot of movies, you know, a lot of Jason Statham movies, you know, the bad guy has, has racked up a resume in the show that allows you to say, yeah, this person needs to die. And that's what they did with this guy. I mean, you know, whether he was Taliban or not, he was going to go ahead and show that he needed to die. Well, and I think part of it is, is because as we've seen over the last decade plus, uh, you get captured by these guys. Yeah, they pretty put you out in a pretty gruesome way. So it's not like he was the more enlightened guy, even though he went to Cambridge. Uh, he had no compunction about uh, slashing throats, shooting people in the face, in the back of the head, and numerous other ways. So, I mean, basically, I think, I don't think it was so much of a trope in that sense. I think it was just, he's pretty much playing a tight. Well, then why didn't they just say he was a Taliban leader and he, I mean, and just leave it at that and him not kill anybody and then him just die at the end? I mean, why not just leave it at that? I, I'm just, I, <laughs> I'm saying, you know, why didn't they do that? Well, because I think they wanted to, again, let you see that this person has no reason to, to go on living on this earth. You know, I mean, they could have easily just, I mean, he could have just been a military leader. But, I mean, when you start killing civilians, it's the easy, easiest way to get people to go, this guy needs to die. Um, well, and let me back up. Maybe I think that's what the difference between an American Hollywood movie versus a French movie was doing is that, I think we might have tried to sugarcoat this a little bit versus this one being on the French side is like, we're, we're going to depict this guy as to what he is. You know, he's not troubled. He doesn't have a bad daddy. He's, he's just somebody who needs to be put down. Right. Yeah. And they get, and, they, and I mean, they paint the picture for you. You know, I, and I, I, I say it's a trope. Um, just because instead of saying, okay, this guy's a Taliban leader and we're going to leave it at that, we're going to show you, throughout the movie, you know, the multiple atrocities that he commits that leads you to support them and going, okay, at the end, we, we need to kill this guy. Um, he, he's not just some regular enemy combatant. He, this is a guy that needs to go down. Okay, gotcha. Sorry. Well, thank That's you. It's okay. That's what happens You've, when I come back from getting a beer and taking a tinkle. 
failed me for another time. Oh, so you're listening to half my conversation and then weighing in on it. Okay, just making sure I got that. Other favorite plots and scenes. Uh, Ken? There's just a lot of little scenes. This has a lot of, I mean, it's a small team. There's a lot of good character interaction. A lot of good fight scenes. But I, I don't have one that, like, jumps out at me. I did, I did, I, I commented on before, I do like the fact that, you know, they're on the run, they're, you know, going through the wilderness, the mountains, and, you know, the film just shows them, you know, they're, I like the fact that it just showed the physical toll that this whole thing took on them. They did that better than most movies. Most movies, everybody's too fresh-faced and, you know, good-looking to uh, look like they've actually had a hard time. And, Ken, that's a good point. When you see at the end, I mean, everybody literally looks like they crossed over the Hindu Kush. I mean, they looked horrible. <laughs> Even Diane Kruger, who is Even not. Even her feet. Even her feet. Oh, no. God. Her feet looked horrible. I was grossed out. I'll tell you what, that made, that, that gave me zingers. Oh, God. Ugh. I mean, I had jungle rot once and, you know, my feet were looking better back then. All right, guys, since we're done talking about our favorite parts of this movie, it is now time to move on to Brother, What You Drinking? Gentlemen, we've got some drinks we got to talk about here, and we have some drinks from listeners that we have to talk about. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Starting this uh, bad boy off here, Muncie, what do you got? Oh, I get to start. Hey, that's awesome. Thank you, Steve. Hey, tonight I am uh, went to my local scary liquor store up here. And was bumfuddled because apparently I've drank a shit ton of beer this last couple of years. I always like to keep it real. And, um, so tonight, uh, you know, I think last week or the week before that, sometime, you know, I can't keep track anymore when we're doing this podcast. I, I did, I had one from Stone. Oh, I had their vertical. Oh, it was last week. The and, podcast that damn near killed us all. Damn near killed us all. Uh, wrecked him. Nearly killed him. But tonight, um, from Stone, I went and grabbed the Double Bastard Ale. The Double Bastard Ale? The Double Bastard Ale. That's not the oat one, right? No. This is just, it's, it's the, it, they just refer to it as the Double Bastard. It's different than the Arrogant Bastard, um, which comes in at like a 7.4% alcohol. Uh, but the Double Bastard, um, it's a nice ale. Uh, it's, it's strong. It is a, it is a, it, this beer, it, it, um, it punches you in the face and you get, <laughs> you get, you kind of get the rabbit punch a little bit from the hops and, and just, um, the flavor of the beer. It's a very flavorful beer. And, you know, I'm telling if the listeners have never tried the, the stone stuff, just go to your store. You don't have to buy anything. Just read the J.P. Peterman writing on the back of it because this stuff is outstanding. Somebody is hired to just to, to write this stuff, and I, I'd like to meet them. But uh, they have a warning on the label here or on the back of the bottle. It says, warning, uh, double bastard ale is not to be wasted on the tentative or weak. Only the worthy are invited, and then only at your risk. If you have even a uh, modicum of hesitation, do not buy this bottle. Instead, leave it for a worthy soul who has already matriculated to the sublime ecstasy of what those in the know refer to as liquid arrogance. And it goes on from there, but it's um, it gets your attention. It is it is a strong beer. 
I like it, surprisingly. When I first smelled this, I opened it. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm a brave soul. I'm a risk taker here. I smelled it, and I was like, it was sort of like this movie. At first glance, I, it just, I stood up and took notice, and I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through with this. And I've been, you know, I'm halfway through the bottle and I'm, I'm very happy with it. Um, especially now that I see that it has 11.2% alcohol. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, and on that note, we got a testimony this week from, um, on one of our dedicated listeners, Darwin. Who said that, um, Mark, um, I, I guess, uh, I don't know if you read this. He, he said that his wife had found, um, somewhere, stashed someplace, I think were some, uh, Trader Joe's beers or something that had a high alcohol volume to them and that he'd had them for a year or so. And he fully agrees. He said that, um, you know, these, these higher alcohol beers, he said, this thing has sat for over a year and he popped it open and he said it was Great. He said it mm-hmm. aged very well. So he, uh, he threw us some, uh, some testimony there and said, uh, you know, that he, he did agree that it does age very well. All this was said after he thought I needed a volume during the last episode. But, um, well, anyway. you know, we may know jack and shit about movies, but we know our beer. That's right. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. All right. Uh, Mark, what do you got there, sir? Um, well, it was a pleasure seeing you gentlemen earlier this week for the holidays, and while I was up, I stopped at the liquor store that has two numbers for an amendment up by Steve that is actually a good liquor store, unlike where Jeff goes. It's the Third Amendment liquor store for, for soldiers that are quartered in people's homes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm waiting for that. Ordering. I'm waiting for that amendment to be uh, uh, glossed over. Go on. Well, anyway, picked up a couple of my favorite local breweries up there, and looking forward to the Winterfest in February. Hope everyone's got their ticket. Yes, we all do. Anyway, so I picked up a couple local brews. One of them was the Triton Brewery Company out of oh, Indianapolis. Triton got a great stout, by the way. They don't buy. Sorry, digress. That's what I'm drinking tonight. Shut up! Oh, you can go and get it. Yeah, that's right. They're dead eye stout. Yep. But I gotta tell you, Jeff, I don't uh, know this batch. Uh, it may be the batch. It it was a little sour. A little really? sour, a little hoppy. A little hoppy, a little sour. It, it it felt like they. It was like somebody burned coffee and then malted it and then let it sit and it got a little stinky. Actually, you know what? I can testify to what Mark said because I bought um, bought one of those right before uh, New Year's Eve, and um, yeah, I still got three bottles left. I mean, it's not bad, but I was really kind of shocked because I've been very impressed with Triton and I've had their stout before, but this batch, I, I something just didn't quite. Aren't you, wouldn't you agree, Steve? It just seems it, it's just off. It's not what I'm used to. Right. Well, here's the thing. You know what? I mean, they they don't have it bottled yet, and I wonder if it's one of those. They don't have it bottled because they're still messing with the recipe, and maybe they just fukak the recipe. Could be maybe because they threw it in the bottle and it just didn't. It yeah, because Triton, right. Triton stuff is really good. It's um, really good. Yeah, Triton stuff is 
always very good. That one and Mark, I'm I testify, my brother. I bought a yeah. I bought a six pack of it, and I had about well, actually, I had two. My brother in law had one, and we're like, eh, okay, yeah, it's gonna sit for a while because yeah. you know. And I guess what really knocked it down a notch is I just enjoyed a Pogues Run Porter from Flat oh. Twelve. Well, there you go. And oh my God. <laughs> I should have reviewed that one, but I think one of you guys have done it before. Yeah, I but, did. Oh my God. That's Is that good? Just, yeah. Oh my God. That's one of the best porters domestically produced ever. Oh yeah. Bugs Run's really good. Uh, so, I hate to say that about Triton. I like their beer and I just yeah. hope it's just a bad batch, but I'm probably going to stick. I'm just going to have to wait a little bit. I'll finish these, but they're going to sit in my refrigerator for a while. Yeah, and and guys, we're not saying that it's like terrible. But no, no, no. We've got it's one you got to remember some uh, other. Than, you know, the three of us we're stout folks, so we have a very very high bar that you have to meet. You know, stout supporters, you really gotta gotta pull vault over that thing. Uh, not saying it's bad. It's just like, eh, I've had better, but it's not saying I'm not going to drink it. So, right. So anyway, Ken, what are you drinking? The usual vanilla vodka diet coke. Oh, very nice. Are you imbibing in more vodka? Or? There's plenty of vodka in this. Actually, I'm not imbibing. I imbibed. I sucked it all down up till it's all gone. Mm. Also, for what it's worth, I'll be uh keep an eye on your your Facebook pages because in a week or so I'll be inviting you guys to. A evening at the local brew pub here in Irvington. So I'm getting some people together. Hope you can make it. Oh, you haven't been doing the brew thing uh, or the bar thing. No, I didn't. I, well, I didn't. Did I do it last month? I didn't do it. In, I did it in November. Didn't do it in December. I'm going to do it January and it's going to just be, you know, Black Acre Brew Pub right here by my house, which has some very nice beers and, uh, maybe hit a meal at a local restaurant that hang out at my place. So nothing big. Very nice. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, oh shit, it's my turn. All right, what am <laughs> I thinking? Uh, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to surprise you. All right, uh, guys, I went out and found something because I thought I have to get something that is beer related yet somewhat French. Gonorrhea. So I went out. What? <laughs> Would you say? Gonorrhea. Wow. Really? One C. Is that French? <sighs> The French disease. All right. Uh, so anyway, what I decided to go out and get in commemoration of this film is one of the, um, I think it's a French beer. It's brewed in an area that uh, I think used to be France. It's called Cronenberg 1664. And it is a, a lager uh, that was brewed in the uh, uh, the French. Uh, well, the French used to brew it uh, for over 300 years. But I think it's sitting in the uh, the part of france that is now germany so because all i know is it just said it was it, it's outside of strasbourg is that strasbourg booker here we go <laughs> all right i'm not getting any help from uh our my friends here. i respect no. you and i've been keeping quiet and listening patiently speak yeah i didn't i didn't say anything no but this, no that's it, only because mark beat me to it <laughs> the bitches. It's a good beer. It's a nice lager. If you like lagers, it's very light. Yes, I drank all six of them, and I've been chasing it with some other stuff, as you can tell by my voice, because I could drink this stuff all night. It's not that strong. But um, 
It's a good beer. It's very crisp. Great summer beer, folks. I'm going to tell you right now, if you want a really nice, crisp lager, uh, the Cronenberg 1664 is very nice. Highly recommend it. It's only a mere 5% ABV. All right, folks, that is it with Brother What You're Drinking. We are now moving on to clips, the uh, shortest clip fest that we've ever had on the Man Cave Movie Review. And uh, we're done. And then we're done. Uh, and actually, I'm probably going to do a couple clips uh, that aren't actually from the movie because, well, from the movie, but I had to type them out because they said them in French and because I don't uh, speak French or uh, parlez-vous français. And I know I screwed that up, Ken, but you know what? You don't have to tell me that. And folks, there is some great dialogue in this. It's French dialogue. You have to see it in subtitles for us Americans who only speak American and bad American. Uh, let's see. Uh, we're going to go with uh, number one. I'm scared. Don't surrender to fear. You hear me? Don't show them your fear. They can kill us, but they never can defeat us. You understand? And that was Diane Kruger's driver or interpreter. I like that guy. But the thing was, I like how they played him. You never really were sure. Right. What side right. he was on. Um, so I kind of like that part. Uh, let's see. Number two. Oh, I know you. Your family is so great. Your studies. And look at you now. Sitting here like a dog. And that was Zaid talking to the French journalist that he had kidnapped. And number three, this is her response to him. Seven brilliant years at Cambridge. Son of Munia Zayef Khan, the most powerful and influential chief. And yet, you're sitting here with me. I'll tell you what, one thing I liked about that scene is you could tell she's trying to be, like, tough. But you could tell, I mean, she's really playing a good part of being, I'm trying to be tough, but you know what? I'm pissing my pants right now because they're going to kill me. And I thought Diane Kruger did her. I, she was, I think, the best part of this movie in terms of just her acting. I thought she was fantastic. I won't disagree. And a thing that I didn't realize watching the movie, but it came out there is he's trying to sit there and project this aura of power and control and such. He's got some dog outside just yapping away. Yeah. You don't yeah, usually have like, dogs barking in the background when you're having dramatic scenes. <laughs> I, I kind of like that. Yeah. Very nice, realistic touch. All right, guys, I did this one. I called this um, because a lot of these quotes, um, I just I just hit the number on this. But this one here, I said, press one for English. In English, please. I've had enough of this language for one day. Because what you find out about the Taliban guy, uh, Zayef, he is English educated. He went to Cambridge. He sounds the way he does because that, that's his accent. That's all he ever knows. He knows how to speak Arabic and he knows how to speak Pashtun, but he doesn't like speaking those languages. You almost get the idea that this is a very conflicted guy somewhat, but you still don't really have any sympathy for the guy. Uh, let's see, number five, this is when, um, this is, uh, the interpreter, Ahmed, 
wanted to know if he could assist these special forces guys in any way. Can I help? Sure. If you got a pack of howitzer on the radio. In other words, no. I mean, that's pretty much the uh, the amount of English you're getting in this movie. Uh, let's see. This is number six. This is where they wonder why Diane Kruger walked into the uh, uh, the the village in Pakistan. What she's doing is very wise. She asks them for hospitality. We never refuse it, not even to an enemy. It's tradition. And you know what I liked about that part? When Ahmed was explaining to everybody, you know, when you ask for hospitality, and and everybody kind of looked at him like when he said it, we, we give it to everybody, even an enemy. And everybody kind of gave him this look. And he goes, it's tradition. He kind of gave this like little slight shrug to explain. He doesn't necessarily agree with it, but it's like, this is just how it is. And I thought that was kind of cool. I like that. Well, that's what I was talking about at the beginning of the show. Yeah. That's their custom, that this is, you know, even their enemy, if somebody asks for, you know, sanctuary or, you know, hospitality or whatever the hell they call it, they are, you know, duty bound. I mean, you know, say what you want. There, There is a code. It is not the code with which we live by, but it is still in their world. It's an honor code, totally different from our honor code. But there is still some... You know, I don't, I don't know if we would do that though. You know, if our enemy came to our doorstep, what would we do? We'd pick up the phone and call the, you know, the fuzz or something. I mean, that's what we would do. The what? <laughs> say the what? The what? <laughs> Did you just say the what? Do you fuzz? speak jive? <laughs> Steve, can you translate? Oh, you, I'm sorry. Do, I speak jive. Do you speak jive? Chump don't want my help. Chump don't get my help. <laughs> Hold on. Where's that website? <laughs> I understand what you're leading to. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Oh. The fuzz. <laughs> Did you really say the fuzz? You even bored with the word fuzz was originated. You know, what Steve. How did you pick that up? I'm a worldly man. Come on. <laughs> Call him five zero. The popo, Steve. We pick up the phone and call the popo. Well, there we go. I, I see us went from uh, eighty one likes down to about like twelve. Two. Yeah. <laughs> no. 12. I even unliked us. Okay. I can't even like myself now. <laughs> All right, folks, I just want to say the last the last show we did was actually a double feature. And we promised we, we'd never do a double feature again because we were drinking a lot in that second one. Obviously, we can't even get to the point where we can do even one show without. I, I blame Jeff. It's all my fault. You know, here's the thing, Steve. How is it somebody so small as myself, world average, can cause so much chaos to this podcast? I give what? you the movie the, the Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog. <laughs> it was the dwarves' fault that so much went wrong because they were greedy. They're no. short, too. I'm going to take this as a small victory that you refer to me as a dwarf and not a hobbit. Well, the dwarves are hairier. 
and I give you me. And they snore. I give you me. I am a dwarf. I like. I've actually seen Jeff's feet, and it's. I'm. I am a proud foot. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's supposed to yell, "Proud feet!" Steve, rescue this podcast. Gosh, where where have I gone? I'm. I'm completely. You were doing clips. Back to clips. All right, guys. A couple things that I pulled out of this movie and I typed them out was quote of the movie. There's a scene, and they're still in the Hindu Kush, and at this point, Diane Kruger, her feet are completely frostbitten. She can't walk. So guys are basically carrying her. And I like that whole thing where they kind of, like, traded off. Every guy's, you know, carrying her around. And and every guy would go, why are you here? And I love this part here. The first guy that's uh, carrying her is um, Dijon. And he said, how did you become a reporter in a war zone? And she replies, by falling in love with countries like this. And his response is, uh, next time choose Holland. <laughs> it's flat. Yeah, right. it's flat. <laughs> I guess I love that. That's great stuff. All right. Uh, let's see. After Diane Kruger kisses Tic Tac before she moves on. Uh, so she gives him a big kiss and, you know, she goes off and Tic Tac looks at Dijamon and he goes, She's hot for me. And he just goes, sizzling. Again, I can't portray it the way they did, but you got to see the scene. It's great stuff. Love it. Those are the two things that really kind of stood out to me. There's some other ones that I missed, but a lot of the dialogue in this movie, like I said, it's French, it's subtitled, but the dialogue is really good. And it really fits in a lot of, uh, in a lot of the, uh, the scenes. So loved it. All right, well, that's it with Clips. All right, folks, that is it with um, Brother What You Drinking and Clips, what there was in this one because most of this movie is subtitled. So we're going to go on to the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. Number one. Did anyone jump out of a window? I Oh, shoot. I don't think there's windows in the Hindu Kush. Well, but in the in the very beginning part of the movie, when they're assaulting the uh, yes. farmhouse, did somebody go through a window there? I'm 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 drawn to that scene, and I I know people went through doors. I don't really remember don't, anybody going through a, a window though. Do you, Ken? No, but I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I I, I wasn't us, usually doing my. I'm usually you know, watching like a hawk for window scenes, and I wasn't doing it in this movie. <laughs> Uh, Thank God for I that. I don't believe huh? there was. Like you that. said, they went through all different ways of gaining entry, but they didn't jump through windows. So no, no window scenes. All right, number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was a Liv Tyler role in the movie? No. 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 Well, actually, she was the purpose of the movie. All right, uh, let's see. Number three. Even with her walker, hell yeah, she'd be better. Oh, dude, come on. <laughs> Getting her over the Hindu Kush, though. So. <laughs> In a wheelchair. That's that. a little hard. Pull, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are a few of us here that can still relate to that girl's age. And I think I could still. Well, you know, and if she's wearing lingerie, she's going to just get frostbite in all sorts of places <laughs> when she's trying to cross the Hindu Kush. Good point. 
All right. Uh, let's see. Um, number four. Was there an 18 montage in this movie? Things were tough and things were rough, but they never had the opportunity to stop and cobble together some half-assed wacky vehicle or anything. When it came time to take on the bad guys, they just whipped out the guns and went at it. Clarify something for me. I mean, what kind of half-assed plan was this to not have a backup plan or a backup to the backup plan to get them the hell out of there? This was like priority number one was getting her out of there. And mm-hmm. there was well, the radio no radio got shot and they lost communication. They couldn't call I hate it when that happens. But there was no backup. There was no like, right. OK, well, if you don't meet us here, we're going to do. And there's, there's always an extraction point B and an extraction point C on, on day two. If we're not there, we'll be here. Well, they even made that comment. And there's like even Diane Kruger goes, is there a plan B? And they're like, yeah. No, no, there no, was but, no plan. But, I mean, that was there, B. But you always plan for contingencies, right? Well, there's that. I mean, yeah. if we're going to diverge into some of those complaints, I mean, I've got a few like that about this movie. But well, I think it's a perfect time for that. Go ahead. You know, the well, just all the Taliban went to the stormtrooper school of shooting. Oh, <laughs> well, now on and, that and, on that and, front, Mark, let, hold on. Now, to, I mean, I can sort of. Well, it's not just a stormtrooper way of shooting, but it's also the stormtrooper way of you know walking Thank you know, you. your enemy in a Thank straight you. line. But by and large, most I think most of those types of people are just given a weapon and, and told to I fire know. in a general direction. Um, spray and pray is, I think, the term that is frequently yeah. used. And they were never ending. Just <laughs> when you thought we'd run out of Taliban. Nope, but, we went to the Taliban lab and grew more. But that's that seems to be the way that it is. It's just it's just I, this I just, endless. It's, it's like just, zombies, isn't it? It's like this <laughs> endless horde. Well, and that, that okay. keeps advancing slowly, but it's but, persistent, and they never give up. Uh, let's see. Since we've been having technical difficulties, we're going to start getting this uh, uh, show finished out. So we're going to go on to the last part of the checklist. Last but not least, and so. It begins. Mr. Muncy. Nope. Nothing? No. There were seven people in this movie. Oh, true. That's right. Oh, yeah, and they were all of uh, on the other side of the pond, so they wouldn't have been in this. Well, I mean, you got to remember, in, in B5, there was a lot of people from across the pond, though. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There were. And so I was when I when I started looking, I wasn't. I mean, I was I was thinking it's a possibility. That's why I, I did look because. There was, I mean, there was a lot of, uh, I don't think there was a lot of French. I think it was more English actors in it than anything. Yes. But, um, you know, again, there's only seven people in this movie. So, but maybe, you know, one of the people in the cabinet positions might have been in it or something, but no, there's nobody. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? We tried. We I tried. did look. All right, folks, that is it with the checklist. We're now going to go on to the review of this great and fantastic film. Mr. Roney, kick it off, sir. I'll just go straight to it. On Netflix, I gave this a four. And to translate that to our 10-star system, that means this is an eight in my book. I really liked it. Uh, I'm glad you recommended it. It's a very solid movie. As we've said several times, it sucks you in. It's got it's well-written, good characters, gritty, realistic action, uh, you know, beautiful, exotic scenery, uh, rugged scenery, 
and it's got a compelling story. So I, I think it's well worth catching. Uh, I, I suppose, I think I'm going to be having a lot of other, uh, my viewers or my, uh, co-bloggers agreeing with me. So what do you guys think? Mr. Mark, what do you think? If you like this kind of movie, uh, the adventure slash war, um, small unit movie, there are not too many made. This is a nice take on the, uh, on, on the well-trod ground. We've referenced Tears of the Sun as a baseline in the sense of that type of genre. Uh, nice to see it from a French perspective. Again, also the War on Terror, which it's not really been well-treated. There's no surprises here. Uh, I think it's solidly acted. The, the cinematography is something that makes this movie very strong. Um, I do think that it does drag about two-thirds of the way through when they're slogging their way out. And some of the, the looks and just the, the shots of people staring at each other could have been cut. Um, I do think it drags a little bit. Um, and we've referenced some of the tropes and some of the things that kind of, you go, eh, okay. No surprise if you're going into a movie like this, but it's streaming. It's a pleasant surprise. The actors are very good in the movie. I enjoyed, I enjoyed them. Pretty much the, the standard ensemble of characters that are in these types of movies. The only one they didn't have, which I'm very happy for, is the second lieutenant with a map and a compass. Um, we avoided that trope. I'm not going to give it as high a rating. I did like it, but, um, I, like I said, I thought that it did drag a bit. So I'm going to give this a seven and a quarter. It's a good movie on Netflix and, uh, recommend it if you like this sort of, uh, genre. Very nice. Like it. Uh, Jeff, what do you say, sir? Well, I say porn parliamentary procedure, Mr. Michaels. Um, earlier in the podcast, you had said that you had some drink, um, reviews by some listeners. Oh, yes. Oh, shit. Oh, you failed us for the last time. You know, oh, I'm sorry. You better, th- you better start thanking me for being a part of this podcast. All right. You need to be thanking me every week. Oh, wait a minute. You do. Never mind. Well, never mind. You're welcome, by the way. You know, <laughs> I'll I say if it wasn't for Jeff, what would this podcast be? What would it be? Um, well, it would on probably time be and more, on target. On time and on target. Been with it him. would be on track. It would probably be about, you know, an hour less. And, um, I mean, I can go on. Jeff <laughs> is our, Jeff is our mulligan. Well, anyway, uh, th- Jeff, thank you for bringing that part up. But um, our very good and dear friend Darwin Allen, and I think he brought this up earlier in the show, uh, he did actually find uh, a bottle of Trader Joe's uh, 2011 then in jail that he had tucked away uh, for some time and was enjoying it. Well, I also know that um, Captain Dyer asked if we liked uh, bourbon beers, and he said the uh, Goose Island, he, well, he referenced the Goose Island BCS, which I have been looking for and can't seem to find here at my local uh, scary place or my regular haunt. Have you guys heard of the uh, Goose Island BCS? I have. I have found it. But then again, I've got um, bourbon barrel ale down here, so. Yeah. I He, he had asked, um, of course, this was... Uh, he'd asked if we liked the bourbon beers. Of course, this was after he had said that uh, he had uh, listened to Stalag 17, and that <laughs> when he uh, <laughs> when he gets back to the fatherland, he is just going to walk around saying, "Everything is gazoo tight." 
<laughs> we really let's do that because it's all going to come back to us. Lord. Although, but, you uh, know what, Captain Dyer did send me a note back on uh, uh, December 29th. He was actually in the Hoosier land. I was yeah. shocked. Shocked. Up north. Up north. Up north, up in Munster. He went frozen to, tundra. The frozen tundra <laughs> of Indiana. Munster field. Yeah, exactly. And he was at the uh, the, the, the Three Floyds Brewery. And Ooh, I did. Three Floyds. Three Floyds. And I did send him some recommendations, which he'd. Uh, which he did, and uh, I told him, I said, you got to get the uh, the gumbo head, and they also have uh, the Robert the Bruce. Robert the Bruce. Robert the Bruce. It's the Scottish Hale. Here we go. God damn it. Uh, I damn it. Sure. Oh, I no. Sure. Son of a bitch. Captain Dyer, why are you going to drink a Scottish beer? Because I'm so Scottish as crap. <laughs> we almost... I blame myself for this. You know what? Because hey, if I had Jeff, not rewound this podcast, yeah. Jeff, can we do a, ch- a Japanese movie? That might be the oh, only way. The only way. The only that won't way. work. He'll find out. Uh, he'll find like a dolly. He'll be like, he'll be like that... well, you know, Ryuko came from Hokkaido. Hokkaido's to the north of Honshu. And you know what's north of England? Scotland. <laughs> and you know what the Japanese like? Scotch. Do you know what other country's on an island? Sorry. No matter what we do, it loops back. Yeah. Like a Mobius strip. <laughs> God. Oh, God, we're losing control. Wrap this up. Muncie, give us your review. My God, save us. Um, Sea Slovers, ditto. <laughs> All right, very well done. And my review of this wow. great and fantastic film. Guys, I like this movie. I really enjoyed it. Again, one of those movies, I go in there with the lowest of expectations. I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to watch a really good shoot 'em up thing. But there's a lot of little bit more character development. Uh, actually, I should say a lot more. Good plot, good actors, great cinematography. I'm going to say this. My review on this one is a little bit biased because I went in with low expectations. I recommended this to the crew here, because I said, guys, you got to watch it, we, and we have to review it, because it's pretty good. I'm giving it an 8 and a 5. 8.5. I, I really like it. I give a lot of kudos to the French for making this one. I think they did a very good job. I thought for the, for the budget, they could give Hollywood a lesson on how you can make a damn good movie on a small, uh, small dollar. Can't recommend it enough. Go see it. That's it. That's my review. Closing thoughts, gentlemen. And did you know that dogs align themselves with Earth's magnetic field when it comes time to poop? All right, folks, that is it with the man cave review. <laughs> I did know that, Mark. Episode 93. We're going to be back next week. Maybe this might be the last show we ever do again. Holy well, it might be frozen Christ. solid. What's that? Uh, oh, shoot. The movie came out a few years ago where everybody froze. Uh, the the Dennis Quaid one? The Day yeah. After Tomorrow. Oh, or Jesus Christ. Yeah. According to the weather forecast for Indianapolis, uh, Monday will be the day after tomorrow. I live the day after tomorrow in, I think it was January of 1993. It's not going to be nearly as cold as what Cl- I work. Cold? Cold? Close. I'm sure it won't be Slover, a load. I will come down there. 
It'll be warmer down here. I will feed you to that iguana. Or whatever the hell it's a bearded is. dragon. Thank you. I will God. eat you. That is his name Godzilla? Please say it's Godzilla. <laughs> it's Max. Oh, of course. Of course it is. It's <laughs> Max. But you know what? You know what we do every time we feed him um, crickets. We we tie little flares to their feet and make the payload. <laughs> <laughs> I was say, you got a you got a makeshift payload jump yep. going on there. Yep. Oh, God, love you, Slover. There's a certain level of hell that's reserved for you. I'll keep the beer cold for you, Jeff. I'm sure you will. My God, I have got, I have got out clips or out clips, out clips. There you go. <laughs> I have got out clips. That's, that's for the rest of the <laughs> this show. How did this show turn into the disaster that it was? I blame you. <laughs> oh, because. Here's why, because we had nothing to talk about, and so we had to, like, figure out things to talk about. Oh, come on, this was a pretty good movie. Didn't say it was, and I'm just uh, saying we had nothing to talk about. All right. Um, folks, that is it with uh, our review, and that is it with Man Cave Movie Review, episode 93. We'll be back next week with a new Man Cave Movie Review to get us rolling into 2014. So until then, check us out at our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review. And leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show. Also look for us on Facebook at Man Cave Movie Review and leave us comments there because that's the best place to get in touch with us. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Man Cave Movie. So until then, I'm your host, Steve Michaels, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark. I love this job. Slover. Remember, if it's not Scottish, it's not crap. <laughs> and also saying farewell, adieu, and auf Wiedersehen is our other very good and dear friend, Ken. Next time, pick Holland Ronnie. Bonjour, mon ami. All right. And last and certainly not least is our favorite penny on the rail, Jeff. Is that Claremont Booker Muncie? Go Colts. Oh, go Colts. Yeah, absolutely. Go Colts. Oh, boy. That's going to be a fight. Ugh. All right. That's it, folks. Stay tuned to us next week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Until then, ciao. Ken, just real quick. Yeah. Uh, vodka. What's your yeah. preference? Stoli? Uh, Stoli's my go-to, uh, mm-hmm. but, I mean, there's a lot of good vodka out there. What's your I, I have a hard time saying that, you know, something is like, you know, I mean, I like Grey Goose. I mean, I don't tend to go to, like, Dark Eyes or anything like that. But. <laughs> well, if you do, we're going to have a conversation. I will say back back when my aunt was in the nursing home, you know, on oxygen with her emphysema, she had to stand. She about every week call me up and say, "I I need my supplies." And supplies meant a bottle of dark eyes for her screwdrivers and a carton of viceroys. Really? Because when you're on oxygen, nothing goes better than a carton (laughs) of viceroys.
And I always made they, sure I delivered only... it prop. I got it to her promptly when she'd ask. But, you know, finally, my mom just said, quit taking all that stuff to my sister in the nursing home. You're going to kill her. But it was like, you know, well, she's in a nursing home. What, what do you want? Ken, the only thing that would have been better than than that that brand of cigarette would have been Camel No Filters. Nah, she did. She had, she's a filtered girl. Oh, she had taste. Yeah, she did. She did. But no, you know, there's a lot of good vodka. I wish I could remember what it was. I was down at the uh, Brass Ring down at Fountain Square. Is that uh, a strip club? No, it's a very nice, very nice Art Deco-ish sort of, you know, 30s throwback uh, bar. Uh, nice place. I highly recommend it. But I asked for a vanilla vodka and Diet Coke there. We were having some drinks after work. And I, I forget what brand it was, but it was a superior taste. I don't know what it was. I, I, I knew it, but it skipped my mind. And I, But there's a lot of good vodka out there. There's a lot of bad vodka. I mean, before we did the podcast, I mentioned, you know, my last party, somebody left a bottle of caramel vodka. And I got that. <laughs> It's like, holy crap, this thing's sweet. Right? So, you know, there's good vodka, there's bad vodka, and then with all these flavored vodkas, there's a lot of just freaky flavors in addition to some that are pretty good. But we are living in pretty much a vodka golden age. We are. Hey, Ken. Yeah? I just have to ask, can I can I leave in the part about uh, you bringing Viceroy's vodka to your aunt? Because that's classic. Sure. Well, I, I'll tell you, I mean, you don't have to put this in, but I honestly felt bad because, again, about every week or two, I'd get a call from my aunt. Say, I need my supplies. I, okay, I'd run by. You know, I, I leave work. I get the supplies. I'd take them to her. She was very, you know, hang out with her for a while. And then finally, mom found out that I was doing this. I don't know how mom found out, but then mom's going, like, stop doing that. I'm going, like, but mom, I mean, that's, you know. She's got nothing going on. This is what gives her pleasure. So I don't care. I don't want you giving her cigarettes at all. She's going to burn the nursing home down. <laughs> and so I finally it's, said, okay. And then it's like, you know, next time, you know, Aunt Dot calls, like, hey, I need my supplies. And we're like, I can't. Like, what do you mean you can't? Like, I can't. My mom won't let me. She's like, well, how about if I call your mom and ask? Well, if you, if my mom tells me I can do it, but I made my mom a promise. I mean, I love you. You're my aunt, but like, my mom, you know, I got to do what my mom says. I may I'm be a 45 year old man at this point, but it's like, you know, in something like this, you do what your mom tells hey. you to do. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad your mom has the common sense in the family. Hey, Jeff. Yes. Who needs to go see a secret life of Walter Mitty? You <laughs> <laughs> got it right here. That that's that's classic. <laughs> My God, I love it. 